Hi, Debbie. It's nice to see you here. We have to connect at some point uh, offline, get together and have lunch or something to connect. Morning. Good morning. How are you feeling, Missy, Miss Sticky? I'm all right. Just mostly coughing a lot. Yeah. So Yeah, you know. I get you. And, and I'll, I'll carry. And you can just cool. jump in there and support me. And I let Chuck know, too, that we'll probably, um, that he and I'll do a lot of the heavy lifting. So, no worries. Sounds good. Yeah. Good morning, Chuck. Hey, good, Chuck. Hey, good morning. Great to see ya. Yeah. Happy Saturday. Yes. Good morning, Courtney. Good morning, Courtney. Good morning. Let a few more people trickle in here before we get going on our content. And if you guys want to share the room, feel free to do that down at the bottom. Share with the, just share the room in general with a comment, or you can also invite others in. It's not necessary, but just to see here. Good morning, Melissa. How are you? Morning, Kelly. Hi, everyone. Happy Saturday. It sent out a few more invites, and I'm sure people will trickle in. But in the meantime, just based upon uh, our timeline here and our time limits, I'm going to go ahead and open the room and get it going. So this is the official Learning to Lead Clubhouse. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for taking time out of your Saturday to come and join us today in our discussion about leadership. I'm Tamara White. I'm here with Kelly White. We're your co-host and also Chuck Mounts Jr., who's our mo one of our moderators. And uh, we meet every Saturday morning between 9.30 and 10.30 Pacific Standard Time. And this is a group that we put together, a forum that we put together to talk about everything leadership. And there's a lot of uh, content around leadership that we all experience, the challenges, the, the successes, the best practices. And we have a real broad diversity of leaders that join this group and, um, and share perspectives, best practices, some practical tips, et cetera. So it's a great a place to, to really learn um, about what everyone's doing and talk about things that are challenging for you as a leader and to explore um, new ideas and new, um, new ways of maybe uh, addressing your leadership um, approach you know, learn more about yourself, how you are leading and how you might be more effective. So just a few housekeeping um, things here is that we are an official learning, uh, excuse me, official clubhouse. So if you just click on that little greenhouse at the top, that'll um, make sure that you're notified when we're online here and you can join our clubhouse. And also we encourage you to follow others in the room because that expands your network and helps to connect you with a community of like-minded leaders that you can um, leverage when you need it. Um, you can also connect with us in a few different ways. There's chat features in the, at the bottom of this uh, page, as well as you can also look for us in our Substack website. Hey, Courtney, do you mind just muting yourself real quick? Sorry um, about that. <laughs> no worries. No worries at all. So we um, have a Substack website that we encourage you to join that keeps you informed about what's going on. Uh, you can listen to replays and recordings of every session that we have on Clubhouse. 
and you also can access additional content. We're looking at expanding our website to include a lot more resources in the future. So joining our Substack website is, would be a great way for you to stay connected and that we can also get information out to you that we think you'll absolutely love. Um, and then of course you can direct message us and you can chat with us within the clubhouse itself. So we have some great content to share with you today and we're going to go ahead and start with uh, the word of the week. So uh, let's go ahead and, and do a round table here. Just what's your word of the week? How's your week been going? And we'll start with Chuck. I was afraid you were going to go with me first. Uh, I've been <laughs> struggling with a word, uh, you know, for today. But, um, yeah, it, it's been um, – yeah, it's hard to come up with a word. Uh, it, it's been a good week overall. Um, I would say accomplished. I feel like I got a, a couple of things done on my bucket list this week and um, working on a few things for this weekend, too, that should be um, pretty, some good quick wins around the house. So I'll stick with accomplished. Yeah, accomplish is a great word when you feel like you've really, you know, you've really gotten through some things that you've had mm -hmm. on your to-do list, your bucket list. So good for you, Chuck. Great news. Okay, Courtney. Um, I think I'm going to use grace. I had somebody give me grace earlier this week and I had a chance to pay it forward. And I think it's just a good reminder that often uh, giving grace and, and even to yourself matters. Oh, Grace. Grace is such an important, uh, in, such an important part of, of, of being a leader too. And, and I, I think it's such a great and empowering word it, because, you know, we do, we do uh, sometimes things happen and maybe it's the way, you know, we interact with somebody or some, something, some meeting or something you're in and all of a sudden you realize, mm, you know, I hope I can get some grace with this or to give it to somebody else. So thanks for that, Courtney. I think that's really powerful. Melissa. Uh, yeah, this one was a really busy week, but it was pretty productive, so I'll say productive, uh, as well for the weekend, a lot of uh, family, uh, homework around the house this weekend, so yeah, no, productive, it's going to be my work. Wow, that's great, and family, being around family, too, is really a, a real treasure. That's like, you know, the things that really matter in life, so productive, being productive can be, uh, it make you feel so accomplished at the end of the week, as Chuck said. How about you, Chad? You know, I could go with a more appropriate one, but I think I'm going to go with Elmer Fudd. I've been Elmer fighting Fudd. these 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 ants in my my uh, kitchen, and it's just like I think I get them all to go away, then they come back again, and I it, it's an over and over thing. I mean, maybe you could use the word determination. To, I will win this battle, but uh, anyways. You know, I can relate to that. I We do the same thing. And I'm sure a lot of people on this call can relate to ants. They're so relentless. And I guess the the question I would put back to you is, what are you learning from the ants, right? It's consistency. I think Mark's used that word a lot. I love that word consistency, like sticking with it and like you're going to win this battle. And, and again, the, the awareness aspect of it when you apply it to leadership. So good for you. I know it's a real battle. It's a real challenge to 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 get you know get past that challenge of ants just persistently going after you kelly uh and chad i can totally relate i'm having a similar battle with ants it feels like every day in my house so i get it um so in addition to having a slight cold which is unique in this moment in time i will say my word of the week would be um inspired you know, I, it was a very, very busy week. I, there's a lot going on at work and it's all really fantastic work. But one of the things that I, I get the privilege of doing is being a part of um, some different forums where I get to meet different female leaders across our company. And we had a, a speaker series this week and I had a fantastic discussion um, with one of the leaders that I, that I, uh, that's part of the company that I'm in. And it was a great reminder that in the hustle and bustle of all the work and all the projects and all the deliveries and everything we're doing to take time to invest in getting to know others, to invest in, you know, growing your, your network, but also learning from individuals, very much what we do here on Saturdays. And I had that moment and it would have been easy for me to say, I don't have time to do these things. I'm not going to make time for this, but I did make the time and I was so happy that I got so much so more much. out of making time to be a part of a, a conversation and learn from another amazing uh, leader in, in the company. 
Wow. That's, that was, that's pretty inspirational. It's great to hear, to hear how you put that together. I don't think there's much else I could say, except that was uh, great. I think the word for the week for me is uh, possibilities. I, uh, I took a five a week, a five day challenge this week about, um, some technological uh, approaches for some of the new work that I'm embarking on with my business and just starting to see pieces of the puzzles coming together in, in lots of unique ways and creative ways about how you start to get yourself out there and interact with, you know, a, a tribe or like, kind of like our clubhouse, you know, you know, this, this uh, community of people, like-minded um, people who are trying to accomplish something. And so I was really inspired and, and just see so many possibilities. And as I learn more and more, it's just, it opens up more and more doors for me. So it was really an exciting week. So, um, okay, well, let's go ahead and launch into our content. Um, I'm going to be covering this today because poor Kelly has a cold and, and she's probably going to find herself coughing most of the time, but we'll certainly um, be jumping in there. So Chuck and I are going to kind of lead this one today. So today our content is called the, it's the Accidental Diminisher as part of that uh, multiplier uh, book that we've been covering by Liz Wiseman. And so to start with, it's just... Uh, I would say as leaders, just to consider, you know, are you an accidental diminisher? We've talked a lot about what diminishers are, or diminishing impact even. And, you know, just to, to start to contemplate that as we start to launch into the content, you know, the, this might be being too quick to uh, share ideas or too swift to move into action or potentially to be overly supportive or helpful. And then there's times that we can also be overly enthusiastic or optimis op optimistic with our teams um, before they're maybe ready for that or jumping in where there's a lack um, or a misalignment of expectations and sort of trying to move things along to get them, get it over the finish line. Um, also potentially buffering teams from, or your team from office politics or adverse um, experiences that you don't want them to have to worry about um, or the fallout of something that happened at work. We oftentimes as leaders can be a buffer there. So, it, you know, while the intent is as leaders to help, we oftentimes can become a hindrance. And the secret of being a multiplier, or having an effect as a multiplier is knowing what our vulnerabilities are and spotting them in action and then turning these situations into multiplier moments. And, and it's real important to uh, to point out that the vast majority of people who are having diminishing impact are really good people. They are not realizing the impact that their leadership application is having. And that's why we call it accidental diminishers. It's really carrying good intentions and thinking we're doing a really good job. But And, and really important is to know that all leaders have diminishing moments, you know, by accident. And, you know, we, when we think about the time that we went through uh, the different leadership characteristics, we talked about like commanding or, um, you know, the, any, I'm trying to think of all the ones it's like coming to mind, but you know, like where you feel like you're being a micromanager or you're having to be extremely divisive and uh, de decisive in a moment, um, those are important moments that we have to do, but you know, it can be an intention to be this way or sometimes not even realizing we're doing it at all. So that's kind of what this content's going to be about today. And so um, one of the things I want to point out is there is a quiz that's available online that you can all take later on after this. And I hope you have a pen and paper close by and um, we will share the the, the, the uh, website where you can go. But this quiz is something I'm going to share real quick. It's 10 questions. And I want you just to contemplate this before we launch into the content. And so the answers are going to be the same for all of the questions. The first, the first answer is, I don't do that at all. The second one is, I do it a little bit to some extent. The next um, answer would be a moderate extent. And the last one would be, I do it all the time. Right. So I want you to contemplate these questions as I go through them really quick. So the first one is you see your role as protecting your employees or your team from distraction and negative influences from people in the broader organization. So, again, not at all, to some extent, moderate extent or great extent. Second question is you're a big thinker and you lay out compelling vision 
a compelling vision of the future that you evangelize to those around you. And then the next question is you are passionate and energetic and articulate and can consume a lot of space in a meeting. Okay, number four is your mind races with ideas and is a fountain of innovation. You come up with ideas for new strategies or products and are continually spouting new ideas for your team to toss around and play with. Okay, and then the next one is you are a can-do leader who sees possibilities and believes that most problems can be tackled with hard work and the right mindset. Number six is you react quickly when problems or opportunities surface by making rapid decisions that keep the organization moving forward. Number seven, when you see people failing, you jump in to rescue them or the project in order to help them avert failure and get on the path of success. Okay, number eight is as a leader, you set the pace and the standard for delivering high quality work and you make a point of working hard and delivering top-notch results so others can learn from your example. Okay, and only two more to go. Number nine is you are respectful of organizational boundaries and hierarchy and when you need to staff a project, you generally turn to the people who work directly for you or the people with the most seniority. And then last question is, you appreciate excellence and exactness. So you offer helpful critiques and point out mistakes to help people improve their work. Okay, so that kind of gives you something to, to think about when you consider how you are, how you lead and um, areas maybe you focus on. So as we go through the materials today, um, again, you may want to take some notes and I hope that some of you will be comfortable sharing insights and pa past experience or any ahas that you might get out of this conversation so we as a group can learn from each other. And I, again, I want to add a few more things as some things to consider as you listen um, is when you think of yourself as a leader, what is one way you think you may have a diminishing impact? And consider what are your vulnerabilities as you listen and how might your best intentions be impacting good ideas and smart people? So, um, you know, there's nine areas, nine tendencies to have a, a diminishing impact that we're gonna cover. We'll go through each one of these. And as each area is described, um, understand that having these tendencies doesn't make you a diminisher. We all have diminishing impact. Um, it simply uncovers where they may, where you may be having a diminishing impact. And when having a dim diminishing impact, um, just knowing that oftentimes we're just unaware. And, and a lot of what we talk about in this clubhouse is again, raising our awareness and, and, and trying to, to be aware of it and then maybe be able to reduce those um, diminishing moments. So let's ramp up our awareness and let's get into this and start exploring. Our, before we do that, um, we start exploring it. Is there any thoughts that come up for any of you as I kind of went through those questions or about the content I've shared so far? Is there any thoughts that come up before we get into it? One thing I'll say that I think is interesting, and I, I think you kind of hit on this at the beginning of, of you know, sometimes we think about you know, these be it, you know, leadership styles, or we think about the, the topics we've been digging in on, on multipliers is, you know, we think about these things in very polarized, good and bad context, you know, be like this, not like that. Um, but I think what's really interesting is, and going through the content today, but those questions, you know, at the, at the surface, you know, you list, read through a lot of these questions and it's like, oh, the, none of these sound inherently like really, really bad traits, right? And so I think it's really interesting, again, always the reminder of how you show up as a leader in different situations, you know, such that you're ensuring success and, you know, of the team and delivering whatever, whatever work you're doing, but also equally those moments, those teaching and growth moments, both for yourself and for your team collectively or as individuals. So, you know, I'm, I'm interested to go through the conversation today too, because again, a lot of these these, the, the questions that came up, you know, on, on surface, it wouldn't be, you know, oh, that sounds like a really bad trait that someone would do. A lot of them sound, you know, pretty positive, but it's again, the understanding of when you get involved, how you get involved, how you show up that can have 
um, sometimes uh, surprisingly a diminishing impact on those around you and being more aware of how you can show up or maybe slightly adjust some of those those traits or the ways that you're showing up. Okay, great. Well, wonderful. I, yeah, great way to package all of this. Any other thoughts before we move on? Okay, let's just dive into this because I think as we go through each tendency, it'll probably generate some, some thoughts around it. So the first one is the idea fountain. And the way this leader tends to show up is an intention to stimulate ideas of their team or others around them. Um, and what they tend to do is they, you know, they share a lot of ideas. They, they've got always got new ideas. Lots of different things are coming up. They're just like a fountain of ideas and, and creative thinking. Um, they're innovative um, and, and they love environments that are rich in generating ideas and sharing ideas. Um, <clears throat> they have ideas that are, public, that are bubbling up 24-7. And they, they often are seen as brimming with new ideas to share. And they share it a lot with their colleagues, so their teams or whatever. So it, it's it's... I can relate to this myself, too, because I'm a pretty innovative thinker. And I, you know, I find myself oftentimes wanting to share new ideas or change things and not realizing the, the diminishing impact that it can have on on the team. And the diminishing impact here would be that it does start to overwhelm. It can overwhelm your team. It can, um, you can find them, they, they may find themselves spending time chasing the ideas of the leader because they think that's important to the leader. And as soon as they start to make progress with that idea or one, one idea and then another idea and another idea, then what ends up happening is it starts to, you know, paralyze them. They're not making any progress because another idea comes up. So it's really short-term progress and they just end up back at square one. And also sometimes the diminishing impact can be that the team may stop sharing their ideas. They may not feel like their ideas are really valued because the leader's throwing too many ideas out. And this is probably a pretty big extreme, but I think there's probably even some of that in the middle um, where a leader might be trying to generate ideas and then have this kind of an impact. So um, the, the team may, in this situation, depend on the leader to come up with the ideas. And, and I would say, to the other kind of risk here is sometimes if the leader is coming up with a lot of ideas over and over and sharing it with their team, they might start to start to see that as more of an executive role that, you know, it's not really for them to come up with ideas, but rather something more that the leader takes, you know, it, that's their job. They're supposed to be throwing the ideas out. Um, so the leadership intervention on this type of a diminishing impact would would be it's, it's really important to create a holding tank for your ideas before sharing, like be able to, you know, shelve those ideas and hold back a little bit to have uh, a more intense impact when you share an idea. Stop and ask yourself, you know, if you want your team to take action now, and if not, you might want to hold off on sharing those ideas for later, put it in a parking lot somewhere, and then rather than sharing your ideas, really try to generate it from the, the team, which we've talked a lot, quite a bit about. Um, asking extreme questions or asking, asking empowering questions to get them think about to think about these things. And then linking back to our conversation from last week, is this is a great opportunity to even create a debate if if it's an idea that doesn't have a lot of uh, risk around timelines or or something that's really really pertinent to get over the finish line. This might be a great a great opportunity to create a debate with your team. So um, that's the idea fountain. I'm curious to know: Does anybody relate to this? Do they relate to it from your own leadership perspective, or do you relate to it from? other leaders you've experienced out there thoughts around this this is definitely something that uh an aspect of this that i find myself having to do all the time and it's it's i find often that that i have a very quiet team and so i feel like myself and, and another leader or two are often the only people talking and therefore the only people trying to get our team to come up with ideas and such. And it can be a little bit of a challenge sometimes to kind of be like, hey, everybody, does anybody else want to say anything here? <laughs> but but we're working on different ways to kind of kind of make that, that you know, happen in, in other, by, you know, employing other techniques and, and doing other 
other one-on-one sessions with folks to sort of pull it out of them a little bit and get them more comfortable. On a related note, though, um, that idea of a parking lot or a, a holdback, I have to do all the time because I'm blessed with having a few folks on my team that if I say, hey, can you look into this? They will immediately, even if it's Friday afternoon. Yeah. And I'm like, no, 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 not now, like next week. And, and I have to look like, <laughs> I can't ask you this today because you're going to give it to me on Saturday and I don't want you to do that. So anyways, I totally understand that. Yeah, I I can relate. I'm sure most of us can relate to those moments where you just, you know, you're trying to engage your team and and you're it's just it's there's silence and and you know, embracing silence is one thing, but another thing to get a team engaged. And I'm I'm curious to know if any other leaders on this call have any I anything else that they can maybe share or ha- even advice around what have you done in the past to engage your team? Um, around trying to generate, get them to get more engaged and, and generate ideas. Um, and, and, and again, I, I would just say also the other thing, Chad, is to go back and, and consider that debate idea. You know, maybe being able to, as you empower your team, is, is thinking about trying to create a debate as a, as a possible approach as well to engage them on another level where they where they again part of this is about you know building a environment of safety psychological safety and also uh the rapport that and the culture of you know you, you're it's valued what you're saying and we want you to be part of the solution and getting greater buy-in and joint accountability okay so let's move on to oh chad did you want to say anything oh no just okay great Okay, super. All right, the next one, always on. And uh, this leader's presence is they have an intention to create infectious energy and share their point of view. And they're often really typically a, a dynamic and charismatic leader, and they exude a lot of energy. They're always engaged presence, and they have something to say. They, they want to come in and engage people, get people motivated, inspired. They have really big personalities. They tend to command a room. Um, they, they are bigger than life oftentimes and, and they, and it's all for good intention. They're, they're, they're in there trying to, you know, trying to make a difference and move their team along and their diminishing impact can be overwhelming and draining and exhausting the the team because they see them as not having an off switch. Um, so that can tend to turn off the team and people may stop paying attention and to what they're saying or, or, or who they are or want to avoid them. I can, I can, I can relate to, you know, the, the person that comes in first thing in the morning, I'm a, I'm a morning person. I'll be the first to admit it. And, you know, people are like, wait, we haven't even woke up yet. And, and they can't deal with the cheerfulness or the energy in the morning. Um, and, and also the, you know, the diminishing impact, which is really important is they can end up suppressing introverts. And, and uh, oftentimes because of that high level of energy, they can actually promote that extrovert domination in meetings or other forums that the leader might be working in because the extroverts are t- typically are the energetic people. The people are really out there saying stuff. They're engaged in their presence and they're big in the room as well. So it's important to know that people that are quieter, uh, people that are more introverts may shut down. So in this situation with the leader that's always on, the intervention is to perhaps say something once and refrain from repeating or emphasizing something you're trying to say, you know, because of that energy that might be becoming a bit frenetic and to uh, maybe create a reason for others to chip in, try to find a way to really engage everyone and, and then build on idea, build on an idea or build on ideas and also setting up the expectations for others to speak. So trying to engage those in, those introverts and also to try to manage the energy to, and, and, and also with managing the energy is also managing that domination that happens from the extroverts in the room. 
So um, again, part of this is not just coming in there, sharing all kinds of points of view and exuding a lot of energy, but playing fewer chips in the room. And then also, again, the, the exercise you might do as a leader is trying to empower your team to speak up. And that might even be just like trying to call on people, even though that feels a little um, vulnerable to those people, but trying to get people's ideas out there in some kind of a brainstorming activity or, um, you know, just, just to get them engaged. So um, who can relate to this one? This is, um, this is a, a big one for me because I tend to bring like really high energy. I think I had shared that article about being cheerful. And so I have to like, really watch myself when I'm in my team environment. And so a couple of things I've tried to do um, is, you know, ask the question of like, what am I missing? Something open-ended versus like, I know that I think we've talked about this before, but the like, does this make sense? Just shuts down, like doesn't get people to open up, but the kind of, what am I missing? Or what, you know, what is, you know, like what uh, like idea have I not considered here? Like some open-ended, mm. like, and Tamara, I loved what you said about like, say it once and then like, don't say it again. Because I, I also do the, like, if there's awkward silence, I feel like I have to fill it. So um, this is a, this is one that I can definitely relate to. Oh yes, and and I and and Courtney, Courtney, me too. I, I'm so I really so appreciate you know you you sharing your vulnerability around that because I I also am a very highly energetic person. I don't even drink coffee. I would be frightening if I if I drank coffee. Um, but I but I like your ideas around. Um, asking it's what you ask it's the kind of questions that you ask that's either going to shut the team down keep them shut down or keep them quiet or really trying to open them up and i think it's part of that asking the empowering questions you know um what am i missing um what else might we do in this you know we're working on a problem what other things might we 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 consider in trying to solve a problem and and again reigning in that energy and trying to stay centered and focused and not re-emphasizing or re-emphasizing because I can relate to that as well. Have, has anyone else experienced this and have, have you done anything different in terms of your intervention to, to manage this piece? I'll just add, and I appreciate a lot of what, what Courtney said. And I think, you know, often what I find in, in, you know, and I'm like a, I, I use the term, uh, I'm an introvert who extroverts well, um, but I, I do know that when I show up in meetings, I can bring a lot of energy and I think it can set a tone that, you know, we talked a lot about the, the weight of your voice as a leader when you come into the room and acknowledging that and re respecting that, but making sure that it doesn't stifle other ideas and conversations. So I love the idea of, of asking questions from a lens of of understanding that can open up conversation versus um, shutting it down. But I also definitely related to the first topic or the first point is that I, I definitely find that I have to embrace the awkward silence and I definitely become very acutely aware of, of not speaking up um, more often than not in conversations and letting the teams have open dialogue and I'll wait as long as possible before I may chime in or ask questions or, you know, share my thoughts. And so a lot of the way that I've handled that is just to try to take a little bit of a back seat and watch the dynamic and give the teams room to talk to each other versus feeling like they're only needing to talk to me, which I think is another dynamic of when we show up in those, in those forums, people start to feel like the only audience is the leader and instead it should be each other and, and starting to kind of build that culture. One of the things I do when we get the awkward silences is I tend to pick on the people that I think should be talking at, at that point or who might have the right ideas. And then I'll, I'll just sort of call on them and say, hey, so-and-so, uh, what do you think? And, and, and really try and sort of force the conversation. Yeah, great point. Yeah. And, and sometimes that can be awkward for them. Um, yeah, uh, Gary, I appreciate that. It can be awkward for them. But you know, it's, it's part of bringing them out of their shell and letting them, you know, helping them to feel comfortable sharing that all really, really good points. Um, 
about about you know how to how to engage people and 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 Kelly to your point you know I think there's there's the opportunity to just depending on the on the forum forum you know you could do workout breakout groups or you can do whatever it just depends on what you're trying to accomplish but I think again you know Courtney you said it so well about you know just manage your energy and and I am I can be very energetic and I've had to really watch myself as well on on that on that on that level because i can probably be overwhelming to people just because i'm i'm bursting with ideas as well so let's move on to our next topic okay our next tendency is the rescuer and this is a leader who wants to ensure that their people are successful and they really want to protect their reputation so this is the big buffer right and many of us function as buffers for our teams and so as a leader uh, who's being the rescuer we don't always allow others to struggle or make mistakes or fail and that's a big part of growth and and so instead of we tend to jump in or this leader might jump in and help at the first sign of distress or they may even hear something in in some forum some meeting there's some circle that they're in that something's going uh, something's going sideways with the project and they may do something to buffer that team because they don't want them to experience that. Um, they're resolving the, they may try to resolve the problem um, or help the team to get something over the finish line. Um, and one thing that's really important to note is that this is one of the most common ways that leaders can become a diminisher is trying to buffer their teams. And I, you know, I can relate to that a lot as well. But what ends up happening is it interrupts the natural performance cycle, which starves vital learning that's needed by um, by interruption and rescue. You know, it's real important that teams have that experience, but people in general have that experience. They know how to deal with it. So the diminishing impact is creating dependency and helplessness within the team. They 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 don't experience the political. Um, what am I trying to say? The um, uh, the politics of a company or the ramifications or um, what happens as a result of something maybe getting sideways, they need to have that experience in order to grow. So they may feel frustrated or depleted of confidence when failing to get something across the finish line. It impacts them a whole lot more because they haven't built that, that, you know, that tough skin or that outer layer to know how to deal with failure and see it as, as part of the, of the um, success process. Um, and the team may feel relief, uh, but fail to grow to demonstrate their full potential or their intelligence. And that all comes from feedback and the natural consequences of their mistakes. So um, the intervention here is to really expose the team, obviously, give them that exposure. Um, and somebody brings us a problem or something's coming up, they want some help, remind yourself that they probably already have the solution. They probably already know it. And, and a lot of what, you know, Chuck and I do in our coaching is we know that the answer oftentimes for most things are, they're all within us. They're within the client you're working with. They're within the team you're working with. They know the answer. You just have to help tease it out of them. Um, so slow down. Um, so that the team can catch up with you, because oftentimes also the team, is, you're, you may be moving really fast, and try to get the fix out of them. Get it out of the team, get it out of the team member, um, or whoever you happen to be working with, and allow space for them to make mistakes. So you're really going to be, in terms of like your exercise or experiments or interventions, is really supporting that learning and recovery process. And so um, it, remember the, we talked last week about give it back. Like if you need to intervene, intervene in a way that is not gonna have a diminishing impact and then give that, uh, that power back to the team to continue the progress and to keep the decision in their hands so that they can grow. And again, this is also going to liberate you as a leader, not to have to always be there to come in and rescue. And, and again, they're going to learn from that um, that natural process of of, of what are the consequences, what what possibly could go wrong as a result of, you know, the work that they're doing. So this is a real big one. This is I think this is one that's again the most common way that people can that leaders can become diminishers. So I'm curious. I would love to hear um, how people feel about this or if they've had this experience, and even if they've had it in the past, you know, I, I'm curious to know like what have you done. Um, what did you learn from it? 
this used to be me like to the nth degree like in the early part of my career i was always like jumping in when people were, were that very early just 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 getting teetering on on an opportunity to fail i'd be like no 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 and and, and one of the things i learned was that it was taking a lot of time mm-hmm. <laughs> and i think that that a lot of folks in, in leadership uh, can say often oh i'm very busy i'm very busy and then they find find out that a lot of the, their time is going to doing sometimes work for uh, that other people maybe need to be doing and and so it it took a while in my career to get to the point where to be where i got very comfortable to say it's okay do this and let's see how it goes and and to hold back and 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 not like that let them fail but in a a um, I mean, I'm not going to let anybody like, like crash and burn. Right. But to mm. give, give, give the ability to make the mistake. that's the small mistake and, and, and turn it into the learning opportunity that can go from there. And, and, and uh, 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 holding back is still hard. It is still hard, but it's like the right thing to do. And I think that, that it, it allows, it, it, it changes the whole dynamic of of the the group because it 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 shifts responsibility back to where it belongs it allows people to fail safe if you will and it um ultimately it raises the bar oftentimes if maker were here i'm sure he would say something about about you know you have to set the bar of expectations and people need to meet it and and that sort of thing and it's that all kind of fits in that same space of like it's okay to fail hit this expectation and we're going to support you in the process. Yeah. 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 Really, really, really important piece. And yeah, and I think that, you know, that the, the learning to fail in a safe way is, is so powerful. You think about all, I don't, maybe you guys can relate to this, that even as a leader, you think about your entry level leadership journey you know, to where you are even now and how people are just kind of thrown to the wolves and you're really set up to have those failing moments. And, and it's all about creating this, um, this, this uh, um, environment of support um, and, and helping people gracefully fail or gracefully make a mistake. And, and I always think of fail as the first attempt at learning, right? Nothing is ever perfect the first time you try to do it. If you were trying to create a new project or a new system or a new you know procedure it wouldn't be perfect from the get-go you're always constantly refining the process but i think there's just this incredible power whether it's a team member or a leader to to really be supported in that process and and feel supported and to learn from it and to and to know that you know that they're that you're you're going to learn the tips or you're going to learn the you know how to navigate that from, from your leader or from, you know, maybe someone you you're working with um, at a leadership level. So that, that's a, this one's a, a really powerful one for me. Um, other thoughts around this. Yeah, I think I've seen it a couple of times in my career. And personally, I had an experience where I was working on a PowerPoint with a VP. And at this time, I was two levels below this VP. And Aside from maybe collecting a little bit of research, um, it was essentially the VP that put the slides together. I'm not even sure why I did it because he wanted it done a specific way and and actually had someone in between him who went through a similar um, experience. It was my direct supervisor at the time. And he actually gave feedback that, you know, why don't you just do it? You know, and he was sort of taken aback by it, but he actually started to reflect a little bit more on what he was doing and and sort of saw how he wasn't necessarily enabling people to just sort of take the task and and run with it and and provide more higher level guidance. Um, And I think I see, you know, just organizationally, um, I've seen those, those patterns where, you know, there's a, there seems to be like a default to decision-making a hierarchical, I guess, default, right. Where it sort of bubbles up and um, you know, some leaders, if they don't see the right progress, that's, um, um, taking place, they, they jump in. Um, but you know, the end result is that, you know, people aren't necessarily empowered to, to make decisions. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a really that's a really great one, Chuck. I appreciate you sharing that, and I've seen that before too, where maybe someone is working on, say, a PowerPoint, and all of a sudden the leader comes in and says, "Up, oh, this is not hitting the point," and they just take it and run, like basically take it out of their hands, and that's so, um, you know, that is so demoralizing to somebody. Um, okay, let's move on because we're kind of getting, I want to make sure we get through all of these. So the next one is pacemaker. And we've talked a little bit about the pacemaker leadership style, but this again is a leader that comes in with a presence of achieve, they're achievement oriented and they lead by example and they set those high standards for quality and pace as well as performance and building momentum. And these guys are, uh, these leaders are exemplifiers uh, that of the values of the organization, like quality, what's the quality levels of, of service, customer service, innovation, they're going to set those values and they take the lead, they set the pace and they expect others to really follow them and catch up with them. And they tend to speed way ahead of everyone, especially their teams. So the team struggles to keep up with the leader. And they oftentimes will give up because the gap just widens and widens uh, between the pacemaker and themselves. And they end up becoming spectators watching the pacemaker do their thing, you know, because uh, and then I wanted to say also that this is where they may start to see this as an executive function, whatever that that leaders, uh, the setting, the doing the pace setting is they may start to see that as an executive function because the pace setter is going so far out in front of them and they can't catch up. Um, so, you know, as, as leaders in the, in the pace setting situation, we oftentimes run so fast that others start to really slow down. And the intervention here is just to stay in sight and, and to slow down and ensure we're not moving too fast and avoid letting the team get lost, allowing them to stay up with you. Um, and then empowering the team to, to, again, find the solutions and be part of the process. And uh, again, I can relate to this. And, you know, Kelly and I are very similar in this way. Our minds work very fast. And you probably have noticed we speak fast. Um, but this is where you have to really intentionally slow down and, and give people that chance to catch up and, and not throw too much at them as well. So any initial thoughts around this one? Okay, I'm going to move on to the next one because I just want to make sure we get through the material. The next one is the rapid responder. And this is a leader who, um, who their intention is really to keep the organization moving fast. And I'm sure many of us can relate to this. You know, it's it's really around, you know, that we value, we may value agility or fast turnaround and, you know, uh, take responsibility for quick responses and troubleshooting problems and making fast micro decisions um, so, you know, oftentimes leaders can, in this situation, can see a problem and they want to solve it really quickly. And consequently, the organization moves slower and, and the leader creates bottlenecks because they're making a lot, of a lot of decisions or initiating a lot of change. And it just ends up flooding the, the team or um, the, the group they're working with, um, with too many decisions requiring action, which ends up slowing everything down to a, a crawl. And it can also, this one also can end up generating apathy. You know, so even the best team will slow down. Um, when, if they know somebody's already working on it, the leader's jumping in all the time, they kind of will tend to take a, they'll sidestep it you know, kind of assuming that the leader is going to take it on and they don't have to really be part of that. And a lot of that just has to do with kind of being overwhelmed. And the leadership intervention on this one is to really set mandatory waiting periods, give that space and allow. The other thing is um, when you think about responding quickly, uh, maybe you guys can relate to someone sends an email out about something going on and they copy the leader and Sometimes as leaders, we can just respond and we're trying to respond maybe in a helpful way or a supportive way, but we're really not empowering the person who should have the right to respond. So we might jump in and in the, in this situation, it's to allow maybe 24 hours before responding or jumping into something to really allow the right people or the right team members to respond to an inquiry, an email, or a question that somebody might ask first, again, empowering them and giving us the ability to be liberated from always having to be the one that jumps in and helps. And again, asking empowering questions. And once again, going back to the 
kind of creating the debate opportunities. So we're empowering our teams and putting the decisions and the control back into their hands. So thoughts about that one? Okay, I'll just keep going. And I'm sure that some of these are resonating with all of you as we speak, but we've got just a few more to go through. So the next one is the optimist. And the leader here with as an optimist, they really want to create uh, they, they, they want to create um, the belief they don't want to create. They believe, honestly, that the team can do whatever they need to do. Um, they're half a glass half full leader and they see possibilities and they really believe that all problems can be tackled with hard work and the right mindset. And uh, I'm sure we can, a lot of us can relate to this. We focus on what is possible and we believe our team is smart enough and they can figure it out. And what ends up happening, we tend to gloss over the challenge and the hard work that's actually required to accomplish whatever we're out there doing. And so the diminishing impact on this one is failure to acknowledge the struggle. Um, you know, like, you know, you can think of yourself as a, as a leader, you know, it's important to say, look at, I know that this is going to be really, really hard work. And, you know, you guys are going to have to do some heavy lifting here from, from the get go. So they, they realize that you acknowledge that part that you appreciate how hard it's going to be for them. Um, the diminishing impact is also failing to prepare them for the, for, for the potential failures as part of, of that process. And again, embracing the, the failure side of it and that that's part, just part of it. And might unintentionally, the leader might unintentionally send a message that mistakes or failures are not an option. Um, it, like kind of like in, in terms of, you know, uh, emphasize, not emphasizing, but inadvertently and giving them the message of how hard can it really be? You know, you guys can do this, you know, you guys with really hard work and if you have the right mindset, you can do it, but unintentionally it might give them a message that, that, you know, failure is not an option for them. So as far as a leader, you know, your intervention is really going to be around, you know, signal signaling a struggle, you know, knowing that there's something going on, recognizing that and before offering that boundless enthusiasm, you know, again, letting them know, you know, it's really, really hard work, um, being there to be supportive and reassure them, you know, and again, when we intervene, jumping in and helping with something in a less impactful way to get them back on track, like we talked about in the past and giving the pen back, putting that power back into their hands. Um, and again, really that mistake part, that learning from mistakes and giving them a, a psychological safety or an environment of safety where we can really talk about mistakes, talk, talking a lot about mistakes is really, really important. So they get used to it and they feel comfortable um, having those failures or those um, places where they've tripped a little bit to learn from it and to gain resilience and confidence in that situation. Um, all right, so the next one we have is the protector, where the leader is wanting to keep their people safe from political forces. I've talked about that a little bit before, where they shield and they buffer from hazards of corporate life, and they, uh, they don't allow their team to see problems that may be arising. Um, they also have a concern that the team will be disillusioned and decide to leave for greener pastures. So they're trying to they're trying to um, retain their, 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 their people. And consequently their, their team doesn't learn how to fend for themselves. And they also um, are prevented from learning again, the hardships of taking full accountability. So the leadership intervention on this one is to allow exposure to, for the team to, to the harsh realities in small doses so that they can learn from these mistakes and develop strength and allow them to build um, resilience and again, the whole intervention here is similar to the one before, which is about making space for the mistakes. And I'm just going to kind of go through the last two so that we get through this and then we'll kind of come to a closing. And I, like I say, as you're taking notes to consider, you know, where you are here, the next one is the strategist, the big thinker who casts compelling visions of the future. They're very, oh gosh, I couldn't say that, evangelical. They have that zeal um, to paint a compelling picture of the destiny, a destination worth striving for. And they challenge the status quo. 
And what ends up happening is the team may second guess um, the boss rather than finding the answer. They may not really know. They may not get a sense of how they kind of fall into the picture. They may become too prescriptive, failing to leave space. Uh, the, the leader may become um, too prescriptive and failing to leave space for others to think through the challenges or to even generate an intellectual muscle to make a vision a reality. And so in these situations, you know, these big ideas and trying to connect the dots here is leadership um, intervention would be don't offer the complete puzzle. You know, when painting the picture of the future, leave sections for the team to complete and ask them questions about the why and the what and let them fill in that, you know, to, um, again, build their confidence, build their buy-in and their accountability. And so they can start to see how it connects to what they do day to day. Um, you may want to lay out a concrete challenge for them to give them practice. You might ask empowering questions, allow them again to answer the questions themselves. And then the last one we have is the perfectionist. How many of us can relate to this one? Um, and this is the leader who wants to help the team produce outstanding work um, that they're proud of and they appreciate excellence. Um, they set high standards to get everything exactly right and they they can tend to point out small mistakes that may not be really important. And when they offer suggestions for improvement, they may be envisioning a masterpiece in the making versus something that is good enough. You know, a lot of times, you know, getting away from perfectionism is what's good enough versus what has to be perfect. And consequently, people can feel criticized and they might even become disheartened or stop trying and, and, um, the other diminishing impact is that we're setting the high setting high standards and we want everybody to get it exactly right. And um, so the invention here is really to define the standards of excellence up front and then make them realistic, you know, versus ideal, make them realistic and let people know what outstanding looks like and then define the criteria for completeness and ask people to self-assess by the standards. And oftentimes that question could even be, is this, do you, if do you feel like you've done, is this your best work? And that's always kind of like, it could be a little bit throw moth, like, whoa, what, what, what do you mean? But again, when they start to understand that you're, you're trying to challenge them to evaluate their own work. So again, making space for those mistakes and empowering the team to find solutions. So that's the nine tendencies. Um, and we're kind of getting down. There was a lot here to cover. We're getting down to our last few minutes. Are there any thoughts that that come up from what you've heard today that you want to share with the team that they might, that we might all learn from each other. One thing that, you know, sort of came up, you know, as we were kind of going through the, the leader presence and their, their intentions that some of these may, you know, overlap at times, possibly like uh, for one thing that stood out is, you know, maybe the rapid responder and the rescuer, you know, like kind of, you know, they just have a tendency head, to just, they want to jump on things, right? And, um, but yeah, I can definitely see where there's some some potential overlap in some of these behaviors and characteristics. Absolutely, a lot of it does overlap. And again, I you know I want to reiterate that what I said in the beginning is that we all have diminishing moments. And that doesn't make any, it doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It's just the more aware you are and the more you're tuning into it is where you can find the, where you find really the opportunity to maybe make a change or say, hmm, let me step back here and, and try something different. It's all about raising that awareness as a leader. And, and that, again, it's not for lack of intention or for lack of wanting to do a good job or for, you know, intentionally doing, wanting, for intentionally doing something versus inadvertently doing it. Um, so to lead, on, to, to lead on purpose, we have to understand really how how we all have a diminishing impact by accident, you know, and becoming a multiplier often starts by becoming less of a diminisher. And this means doing less, talking less, responding less, convincing less, rescuing less, all the things that is covered in these nine tendencies. And by doing less, we achieve more. And by holding back and allowing silence and dispensing our views in small but intense doses, we can actually draw people in and have a multiplier effect. 
So um, just a couple things to consider as you think about this or are moving forward. And this again, again will be in the on Substack. Um, if you want to go ahead and, and look at this later and consider how you might approach it. But again, as, you know, it's, there's always this great opportunity as a leader to ask for feedback to identify your vulnerabilities or tendencies, right? Where you have diminishing impact. And some ways you might want to construct or elicit your your feedback is through either formal tool or casual conversation or regular check-ins. But some of the reflections you might consider is how might I be shutting down ideas or actions of others? And what am I inadvertently doing that might be having that diminishing impact on others? And, and, And again, you can just reflect as, throughout your day as you're going through, how might my intentions be interpreted differently by others? And again, these may be questions for survey or feedback. What message might my actions be conveying? And what can I do differently? As well as how are the best intentions accidentally creating that diminishing impact? And then what are my natural tendencies that take me down the wrong path? So um, there is, again, I would encourage you guys to go over to the website. Um, it's the wisemangroup.com um, quiz. And you can actually just go to the Wiseman group and you can find the quiz. But we will post, <coughs> we will post the uh, address in um, our Substack and our LinkedIn um, su- summary for you to do that, but go over and take the quiz and see what comes up for you. They give a really, really nice summary of where your opportunities are, how you're showing up and, and some of the strategies that you might implement as a leader to, um, reduce the amount of diminishing impact that you might be having. So, um, we're at the top of the hour and I appreciate everyone being here today. It, it's been great. Thanks for the feedback and the, the, the engagement to help because we're all here to help one another. Um, It was a lot of content that we went through, but I do have a closing uh, quote for us. And this is from Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Fight for the things you care about, but do it in a way that will lead others to join you, which is a lot about what we're doing every day here as leaders. So once again, thank you everyone for taking time out of your weekend to invest in yourself and invest in others. And we will see you back next week at 9.30 on Saturday morning. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.